What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Core Consult RX podcast. I'm Mike Corvino, Cole Swanson here as well. And we got two guests with us today. We got AJ Alford coming back for his second uh, episode. AJ, what's good? Hey, hey. That deep voice, man. He's going to put us all out of a job. <laughs> um, and we also got a uh, fourth-year pharmacy student who has the unfortunate pleasure of being stuck on rotation with me all month. So, of course, she's already on the podcast, uh, Ms. Lauren DeBose. Lauren, what's up? Hi, everybody. How's it going? It's, it's just awesome to be finally behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, it's After really cool. After just years and years of anticipation. see how the sausage is I know, I've been made. waiting for this my whole life. <laughs> I know, I felt like that. I figured you were going to feel like that, so. You autographed a picture of yourself for earlier. I did. Yep. I, yeah, great. exactly. You, I'm going to treasure my, it. You ruined my surprise, but that's cool. Um, Lauren, tell us about yourself. What do you, uh, what you've been doing while you're in pharmacy school? How kind of rotations? What's the plan going forward? Oh, gosh. So take it um, away. Oh gosh. Okay. So, um, so far I've had, you know, COVID happened. So had some interruptions there, but we were able to work through that. So I've had some, some good rotations. And I mean, a lot of them have been absolutely wonderful. Um, I've done Amcare. I've done, you know, dabbled in some industry and, um, drug info. And, um, I, in November, my last rotation was in the neuro ICU. So that was a really awesome experience. And then I've had some, uh, gen med experience too. So, um, or later, I mean, after this rotation, then I'll be, um, in the CV ICU and then, uh, doing my hospital rotation after that. So, Oof. but yeah, mm, so fun I'm, stuff. Yeah. I'm excited. So do, do you like the critical care I, side of things? I do. I really, I do enjoy inpatient, but I really think that I want to do AM care. So I'm, I, I applied for residency this in December. So, um, that's the idea. So hopefully the workout patient, either in like a primary care or specialty clinic and like the an academic medical center or a VA. And, uh, cool. we've, we've talked a little bit off the, off the air, obviously, but, um, about you kind of having an interest in teaching a little bit too. Mm, yes. Um, have you gotten the opportunity to like do any of that or like what kind of makes that interesting for you? I don't know. I just really like the, those light bulb moments mm -hmm. whenever you're able to teach people. I mean, I did a lot in undergrad too, just like tutoring and doing TA stuff. And so that's just kind of been, I think a common thread through a lot of the things I've done, even like through high school up to now. So um, I just really enjoyed that mentorship experience. And so that's, I'm hoping to be able to continue that into residency. So that's cool. Yeah. I, I think the, uh, when you're doing like an academic, um, type, like, like MUSC, for example, mm -hmm. if you're teaching there and then also working in the clinic, that's pretty, a pretty cool, like mix. I feel like yeah. Yeah. I get bored sometimes with the same old, same old. So I get into like teach some and jump into clinic and that's pretty cool. Yeah. I really like the, the ability to teach both like students and then also other healthcare providers too, and just kind of really demonstrate our value to them mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of see why we're an essential part of the team. Yeah. The easiest way to do that is not really to get a job in that field. It's just to start your own podcast and start talking. And, it is. And it's actually people, way easier. You know, see who shows up. People just listen. Yeah. <laughs> and then you trick people into listening right. to you, and then here you are. That's what happens when you can't get a teaching 120 job. 120-something episodes later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. No, that's cool. AJ, you back in school? Unfortunately. Unfortunately, hey, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. I, I, uh, AJ's, I got to brag on AJ a little bit because he's been uh, definitely trying to learn a lot of the different sides of Amcare and whatnot. And he's only in his first year of pharmacy school. So I'll show up to work and like AJ's 
sitting in the office already there. I'm like, oh man, you working today? Nope, just here. <laughs> I was like, all right, all right. I no like it. Life. None at all. No <laughs> friends. We, none of us We're have it either. We're your friends now. Yeah, yeah, you're one of us now. The it's best pharmacists have no social life. It's true. Hey, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> your social life is on through the podcast and social media. Exactly. So it would, I would actually argue that we have more of a social life <laughs> than any of you people listening. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's false. But uh, AJ, man, how's how's it be like P1 year? Is it is the stuff getting a little bit more interesting now that you're starting to get in the swing of things? Not necessarily interesting, but relevant. I'm enjoying it. I mean, it's just, it's more and more and more. And as, the more I get, the more I understand, the more you can learn mm-hmm. kind of thing. So it's... I, I can tell just from the short time I've known AJ that he's he's really not going to like love school until fourth year. Because he's just, I can just see, unfortunately, for, for AJ, a lot of myself and him, <laughs> where he's just going to sit in class and go, are you kidding me? This I is- can't say, I don't know that I would ever use the word love in uh, reference to school, but yeah, fourth year is definitely my favorite, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I genuinely think, feel like I like, I mean, there's moments where I didn't, obviously, yeah. but for the most part, I mean, I felt like I was actually doing something, yeah. I think is where I'm getting, and that's when I, I had all my light, I had zero light bulb moments during didactic, <laughs> and then all, zero, zero, I literally was like, what are we doing? <laughs> and I didn't even have a pandemic to deal with. It was a candle, you couldn't even light it, I not was even like, a light bulb. I was like, I had two candles, no light, and I was just trying to make them, make them start a fire. <laughs> you were rubbing a candle on a light bulb. It was a nightmare. And nothing was happening. And so fourth year for me was this like light bulb moment after I was like, that's what they were talking about. Got it. Because I'm a very kinetic learner. So mm-hmm. if I'm not in that environment, um, it's a disaster. I'd be like, why is this guy eating Subway next to me? This is ridiculous. <laughs> that's all I'd be focused on for the whole hour. Onions? God. Oh, what a, look, oh, at, look at that sandwich. What a noob. <laughs> You're talking about pharmacotherapy <laughs> yeah. and all you can think of is I'm onions. just staring at a sandwich <laughs> next to me. It was a nightmare. But um, yeah, so that's cool, AJ. The uh, I, d- I guarantee, though, as time goes on, the pharmacotherapy stuff starts happening. It does get better. It gets a little more interesting. Oh, yeah. I feel like. Yeah, it's but, exciting whenever you start learning stuff and being able to like apply it in lab and be able to you know get those good grades and be like, yeah, I kind of know some things and and like you you know more than you think you do. That's the biggest thing. Is like I always feel like I know nothing, but then whenever somebody asks me a question, I'm like, oh yeah, I actually do kind of know the answer to that. So, so I have the opposite situation. <laughs> <laughs> I always am like, I, I get something wrong. I'm like, you moron. You don't deserve a farm. <laughs> oh, trust day. me. I have plenty of those moments too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm getting more of those moments as time goes on. It's unbelievable. Um, AJ, am I allowed to say like what we had talked about the other day at work? And cool. Sure. So Cole and I have always joked about this fake person that helped produce our podcast. And, Steve? Uh, Steve. Yeah, it was his name for a while. We had a couple other ones too. Is that the skeleton back there? Yeah. The, basically. Well, That's yeah, Steve. basically. That's what happened to him when he stopped showing up for, for the podcast. <laughs> yep. Ouch. He just withered away to nothing. <laughs> but um, so AJ and I have talked and he's going to uh, be jumping on board with us and um, kind of going to be running because well, our hope is to have multiple camera angles and all this different stuff so we can go live and all the different social media platforms and answer questions in real time hopefully and all that stuff and then so it's just been hard while we're trying to talk and like look through our you know stuff we've prepped or whatever or, or not prepped and uh <laughs> and to also be running cameras and stuff like that so um aj is going to be helping us and i'm beyond excited about that because it's going to be awesome great because i feel like this podcast is just in a period of stasis <laughs> as far feel? as not <laughs> having new updates and cool new Mike gimmicks. just wants a bunch of cameras and a bunch of camera angles. I just want a lot of stuff he just happening. Wants a lot I want of a things. whole production <laughs> and I want it now. And he runs out of hands. And I so, do. Yeah, this is great. So, yeah, I'm pumped. So, I'm looking forward to that, AJ. And now it's on the record. She came back out now. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> Nothing you can do. Verbal contract. So, uh, what are we talking about today, y'all? We are talking about IBS. Whoop, whoop. 
We haven't done one of these in what 2018. So yeah, it hasn't been three years, but it's been three different years since we did it. So it's probably been long enough. Close enough. Oh yeah, I keep keep forgetting it's 2021. 2021. Yeah, and you know new guidelines. So here we go. Yeah. So for those of you who have not seen it, there is brand new guidelines. I believe this is like the first like official Mm -hmm. IBS guidelines from the American College of Gastroenterology. Um, They were published uh, in December 2020. So pretty new. Um, we're, we're about three weeks at late on the podcast episode. So not, we try to get them like immediately out so that we look cool, but talking about when, (laughs) when the guidelines come out. Yeah. Yeah. We're usually right on it, but we waited three whole weeks this time. Well, for all anybody knows, we recorded this three weeks ago. In fact, we did. This is actually December 20th right now. (laughs) Yeah. Don't out yourself, guys. Okay. We should say IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Yes. IBS. Yes. That's what IBS stands for. It is. Just making sure everybody's on the same page. Hey, okay. I Imagine you. if you go through the whole podcast not knowing what IBS stands for. It'd be embarrassing. <laughs> it, it would it would not be helpful, that's for sure. It's certainly not. No. So um I'm gonna put IBS in the title though, so hopefully they at least look at the title of the episode and then we're good like, from there. Ibs. Ibs? What is I'm not gonna listen to What's that, that, that one. Scoop. <laughs> so uh we're gonna kinda just talk through some of the uh, recommendations from the guidelines. We won't go too nitty gritty into the, the the weeds as far as the different studies and stuff like that, just because there's a lot. But um, we'll just touch base on you know what the guideline recommendations are, kind of how they separate you know between IBS with primarily diarrhea versus primarily constipation or mixed and all that, and then um, obviously go through the pharmacotherapy stuff and hopefully give a decent review. And then uh, we'll encourage you to read the the real guidelines as we always do. <laughs> or at least the summary. Yeah, yeah sure. Summary's yeah. good too. They don't really have a good summary. Yeah, they don't on this really one, have one. It's so they just the make thing. you read the whole. Well, there's that that one thing on page like three that has like the yeah know, all oh, the recommendations yeah, laid out, but not an executive summary. And and I will say this is 28 pages long. That's the shortest guideline I've ever read in my I life. Yeah. The, the blood pressure one was what 400 pages. Yeah. I was like, I got to page six, and I was like, listen, <laughs> I need the cliff notes. Good that you got to page six. <laughs> yeah. We got to start somewhere. Yeah, you sure do. But, um, all right, so we're, speaking of that, where do you guys want to kind of start? Should we just kind of talk through, like, some of the diagnostic criteria? Yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? So, as far as IBS goes, they have what's called the Rome 4 diagnostic criteria. And um, it's a combination of a few different things. Basically, um, they say that in order to be, reach that diagnosis, the patient has to have recurrent abdominal pain on average, at least one day per week in the last three months associated with, as well as being associated with two or more of the following criteria. And here they are. (laughs) Number one, related to defecation, so pain related to defecation, or pain associated with a change in the frequency of stool, um, or uh, associated with a change in the form, and in parentheses they have appearance of stool. And we'll get to why the appearance is key here in just a minute. Um, these criteria should be fulfilled for the last three months with symptom, uh, from symptom onset, um, and at least six months before diagnosis. So it's obviously, you can't just go to Taco Bell one time, have one of those delicious party packs that they have, which is like way too many soft tacos. <laughs> and then you have IBS. Obviously that's Taco Bell induced, but there's nothing one, better than those party packs. Oh, they're so delicious. And it's they're like so bad for you. $13. I mean, come oh, it's a on. steal. I you'd, be, steal. you'd be a maniac not to buy it's it. It's highway robbery. They taste you're losing. way better at 2 a.m. than they usually do. Yeah. So. If, yeah. You, if you don't buy it, you're losing money. And, and also just experience. Yes. <laughs> Life experience is, is, is gained by eating those 
that what are they what was the documentary say about the taco bell um meat like the pink the pink slime or whatever it's like 20 percent actual meat or it's like fillers and pluff we don't worry about Uh, pluff mud oh my god so there's meat Oh, exactly. That's why I'm here. That's why I like AJ. He's a more of a half full kind of guy. He's like, listen, there's meat in this. Now, yes, is there clay? For sure. Probably. But you're getting full, and that's better than some people. With a half full, half empty analogy, I just say it depends on whether you're filling it up or you're drinking it. There you go. And Baja Blast, most likely, if you're a Taco Bell. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, geez. I promise we're, we do diabetic education for a living. So a couple of things that uh, we'll talk about the like, consistency of, of um, the stool and whatnot in just a second, which is Cole's favorite part. So I'll let him talk about that. But uh, <laughs> the um, a couple of the recommendations that they did talk about was um, one of them being if a patient's presenting with IBS and specifically predominantly pre- uh, diarrhea symptoms, then they actually recommend uh, serologic testing to rule out celiac disease. So making sure that they don't have some kind of like gluten intolerance um, is what kind of leading to that. Because obviously that's not true IBS. They can go on a, a gluten-free diet and uh, hopefully get better. But um, something to, to keep in mind there. And frequently in the past, it would be kind of a diagnosis of exclusion, right? That mm-hmm. if, it, if they couldn't figure out what it was it, and they could relate it to gluten in some way, celiac disease. So Lauren, we were talking earlier about the whole... Process, like the way that they go about the diagnosis mm-hmm. part of that. Can, can you repeat what you were saying earlier? So what the guidelines are recommending now is that they're recommending to, taking a more positive approach towards diagnosis. So um, the guidelines are now saying that this um, helps improve, you know, time to treatment um, and then also cost effectiveness because so that way you're not wasting a lot of money and the patient's time and all these diagnostic testings and just try to rule out everything but IBS. So when you say positive, are you talking like the gastroenterologist is like, listen, you're probably going to be good, like more of a positive <laughs> approach that way or? Yeah, well, it's, it's taking more of an active approach and, and really kind of trying to, um, you know, again, use those serologic testing. And they're also recommending that you use um, some lab values too. Um, so normally in the past, they've used um, ESR or the erythrocyte sedimentation rate or CRP, which is C-reactive protein. Um, just to exclude um, inflammatory bowel disease in patients that have IBSD, but um, they're pretty nonspecific. So that's so now they're actually recommending that there are two fecal-derived markers of intestinal inflam- inf- inflammation. Excuse me. Um, of so there's fecal lactoferrin and then fecal um, calprotectin. So both of these are um, actually pretty sensitive and specific up until like the 90s. And they're uh, rapid tests as well. So they're also saying that CRP can like ha- still have the highest utility for distinguishing IBD from IBS. So they're also recommending that you use CRP too. So that's to rule out IBD. Yeah, correct. IBS. So they're basically they're looking for inflammation throughout the mm-hmm. you know, and then um, they also mentioned um, something about colonoscopies. You were telling me about too. Oh, yeah. So if a patient presents and they are under 45 with IBS symptoms and they don't have any of those uh, warning signs, which um, can be like hematochesia, melanin, unintentional weight loss, um, onset of symptoms of like an older age, if they have a family history of inflammatory bowel disease or colon cancer, um, they're actually recommending against getting colonoscopies in those patients um, because it's just kind of unnecessary procedures at that point. 
Um, I mean, they, they did mention that if you, um, if a patient is 50 or older and, you know, they, you're suspecting, um, IBS in them to go ahead and give them that colonoscopy, but not based off of their IBS potential symptoms, but just based off of their age. Yeah. And, and then the other thing is they also recommend against, uh, routine stool testing for enteric, uh, pathogens. So mm-hmm. you're not necessarily looking for a causative bacterial agent right. um, leading to it. So, and kind of going back to what Lauren was saying earlier, as far as like a positive diagnostic strategy, they're they're basically saying that okay, if the patient has IBS, and then you know you're then you're using other these other tests and whatnot to kind of exclude other things because basically they're trying to improve that time to initiate appropriate therapy instead of just like well let's just put you on. Uh, you know, something over the counter for a little while, see mm-hmm. if that helps and then come back in three months. And, you know, it's, it's trying to get them on the appropriate medications kind of quickly. And then that way, hopefully the patient can get back to normal life. Yeah. They also mentioned a really cool study, um, from Australia. It was kind of like a language analysis and they were encouraging providers to pretty much use, um, or instead of using like, Oh, this patient might be suffering from IBS or, um, this may fit the picture of so-and-so, like they're recommending, um, you know, to use like, okay, this patient is suffering from IBS, they are diagnosed with so and so much and so forth. So that actually by with, by providers using that type of language, that more confirmatory language, it led to more testing and better outcomes. And they want you to be specific about the subtypes too. So yeah. IBS, diarrhea, IBS, uh, constipation or mixed uh, and it, it does matter, and you always would think, you know, diarrhea, constipation, you know it when you see it. But there's, you know... <laughs> you it, do. You just know when you see there it. There can be some gray area. So they actually um, have seven different types of uh, stool, or at least the appearance of stool, that can help determine whether it's IBS with constipation or IBS with diarrhea. So obviously, IBS with constipation, the stool is going to be more dry, and in general, you might know what that looks like. They have type 1 which is stool with separate uh, hard lumps like nuts. I think it looks a little more like rabbit droppings if I had to describe it. Mm -hmm. Type 2 is sausage-shaped but lumpy, so I would probably say Babe Ruth bar with that one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Type 3 is like a sausage but with cracks on its surface. I feel like it's more of a corn of the cob type situation. That I think you (laughs) With large kernels. I think that's reasonable. Okay, thank you. Um, and then you get into the more IBS uh, diarrhea. So it's going to be a little more liquidy and it's going to be, um, uh, it's just going to have the appearance of having more water or more, um, more liquid. So type four is like a sausage or snake. That's, that's verbatim from the guidelines. By I'm the reading way. this. I'm not like, I'm not making this up. Okay. <laughs> like a sausage or snake, smooth and soft. Mm-hmm. Uh, type five, soft blobs with clear cut edges. Type six, fluffy pieces with ragged edges, um, a mushy stool, as they say. I'd probably say scrambled eggs. Um, and type seven. Maple syrup. Right, exactly. Like Just like Mike said, watery, no solid pieces, uh, probably maple syrup. Just liquid water. But not Canadian, because Canadian's very thin. I think it's... Mm, well, it might be more of a Canadian It might be more of a Canadian. It's hard to say. That might be a type eight. So, though comical, actually important for diagnosis. So get your hands in there and feel out how dense it is. <laughs> Is that not what you do? I guess that's what you do. 
<laughs> you could just be... ask the patient to describe it, but sure, if Mike, if you want to stick your hands in and listen, I'm more yeah. of a, I take a hands-on approach. Okay, <laughs> that's the best way to to approach therapy. Yeah, no, so we we might have we probably should have mentioned may want may not want to be eating yeah. during this podcast. Yeah, but really, we described a lot of different food groups, so you so might maybe, just be hungry. Maybe now you're hungry. Yeah, and you don't even know why. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. Well, now you do. <laughs> you're welcome. Look at Lauren. Just take. I love it. She's she's in it. She's permanent member of the podcast now already. <laughs> Um, so, uh, as far as, you know, by looking at those types, the reason for that, like Cole said, is because they want you to really categorize that subtype. And they, they actually mentioned that if you're going to have, uh, you know, a diagnosis of IBS, they want you to have a hyphen and then another letter after it. So IBS with you know, constipation or IBS C is, means that greater than 20% of the bowel movements associated, um, with basically type one, type two, of that Bristol stool form scale that Cole's talking about, um, or, um, six or 7% occurring less than 25%. So basically just more on that constipation side, you know, which makes sense. And the flip side is true. It's if they're 25% or, or greater than 25% of their bowel movements are associated with that type six, type seven, you know, maple syrup, then, uh, you're going to have IBS D or IBS diarrhea. And there's also a mix of that so there's ibs mixed and there's ibs u which is basically you just can't determine uncategorized yeah um and so and the reason for that obviously is again because they want patients to get on the appropriate therapy as quickly as possible so that we're not you know messing around and trying a bunch of different stuff so mike would always say ibs u if he couldn't literally touch the stool with his hands exactly i um, do it i do it all the time i died <laughs> Okay. I did also want to uh, mention that this, well, I was reading off there is called the Bristol stool form scale, apparently copyright mm -hmm. 2000. So uh, oldie, but a goodie. <laughs> it is the by, founded by the Rome foundation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you want to check it out, Bristol stool form scale. Boom. Yeah. Um, they also do not recommend uh, testing for food allergies unless like specifically you have like can kind of isolate what the allergy is then then maybe go ahead and get a test but um they they don't want you just randomly testing for food allergies i, I guess i guess because the delay of care and um it, it can be hard to still distinguish even after testing and whatnot so they recommend against that and just to kind of mm -hmm. go ahead and you know start treating and see what happens and they don't address like elimination diets or anything in this right they don't make any recommendations either way from a eliminate so as far as diets they're the t what they mostly spend time with was talking about the FODMAPs, um, FODMAPs diet mm -hmm. um, because that's kind of been shown to basically to uh, if you can limit some of the FODMAPs in your diet then mm -hmm. you can limit some of the side effects mm -hmm. right so for those of you who are not familiar with FODMAPs it's a uh, mnemonic um, and so basically F is fermentable um, O is the oligosaccharides so things like Wheat, barley, rye, um, peas, cashews, legumes, lentils, chickpeas, basically all of the disgusting foods. You can't have those. So that's good news. Um, D is disaccharides. Uh, so for instance, like lactose. So things that are dairy, milk, yogurt, ice cream, custard. Who eats custard? Um, um, you know, they have um, that Italian ice place and they'll have frozen custards. Those are interesting. You ever had okay. creme brulee? Okay. All right. That's fair, way too fair, fancy fair for me. Yeah, I'm hey, saying. Yeah. If I can't spell it, I don't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a rule of my life and I stick to it. 
Um, M is for monosaccharides, so free fructose um, or fructose in excess of glucose, to, to be specific. Um, so some of the uh, fruits that are pretty common can have uh, a lot of high fructose, fructose levels, so apples, pears, mangoes, cherries, watermelons, um, and then asparagus, believe it or not. Um, and then A just stands for and. So that's easy. That's an easy one to remember. Yeah, that's easy. P is uh, polyols. So sorbitol, monitol, xylitol, which is toxic to dogs, by the way, in case you guys are thinking about getting into veterinary medicine. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that. There's something popped in my head. That's a true fact, though. I'm almost 90% sure. Don't give your pet xylitol. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Um, <laughs> and they're all like, what is that? <laughs> it's a sweetener. It's a polyol. I just said it. <laughs> that's all you need to know. Yeah. Just look it up. It's on Wikipedia, probably. Um, but those can be in things like, uh, different fruits, like we already mentioned, but also in things like mushrooms and cauliflower, um, artificially sweetened chewing gum. I'm mm. sure it's probably got to be some in this monster can I'm drinking. I would guess probably I'm surely gonna... <laughs> everything's in sorbitol, monitol, manitol and all that stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. There is a lot of stuff in here. A lot of nutrients, Cole. Yes. <laughs> That's why I stay so healthy all the time. <laughs> At least it's sugar free. I would take the, unless I had IBS, apparently I would take the. Artificial sweeteners over the that, sugar. Yeah. I'm so addicted to Monster that I feel like if even if I was no no disrespect uh, to people who are actually suffering from IBS, but I do feel like that every morning I have this, this dilemma of like, <laughs> is it worth it? Is it worth it? And I feel like I would be. I like, have the same issue some with China. I would give in. I have the same issue with Chinese food. I always side on the Chinese food side. It's delicious, but you, you know gonna, you've changed you your tune because a year ago or so you like you wanted to prove that you weren't addicted, so you just didn't drink them for like a couple weeks or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm fine, and then yeah. you just splitting kept going. migraines. Didn't care. I was like, I'm <laughs> I'm winning this bet. I'm like, there's no way this, I'm gonna go down. I'm dying on my sword. So yeah, they're like, you feel fine? I was like, fine. My head's throbbing. <laughs> I didn't tell anybody. I was like, dude, I literally have never felt better just stopping cold turkey. Oh my God. As a nightmare. I had to go home and get an IV uh, monster that night. <laughs> All right. So I guess let's jump into uh, some of the actual treatments. Like, So once you've distinguished between, you know, whether the subtypes and all that stuff and you, you say, okay, a person, this has uh, IBS, um, we got to talk about the pharmacotherapy. Um, and actually, real quick, I do want to mention, too, um, some other thing to consider is the uh, psychopathology of IBS. It's something I don't know if the guidelines mentioned. I don't know if, if you saw anything in there, Lauren. Mm, no. But um, there's actually a, a lot of uh, studies and whatnot, and, and they've already been completed, and also that are you know being looked at where they're looking at the gut biome correlation to mood and, you know, whether it's depression or other Mm -hmm. behavioral health issues and how one can lead to the other and vice versa. And there's, there's a really big correlation between that. So I will say that, uh, you know, treating IBS and one of the psychologists or a psychiatrist, excuse me, that I work with physicians, um, has actually had a really good friend of his that, um, and his uh, earlier on in his career, he did a lot of research with this, and that was one of the hopes was that to fix the if you can fix the GI issues in some cases, you can actually fix some of the um, mm. psych issues, and and vice versa, and all that. So that the fact that there's a correlation there is pretty interesting to it's me. New frontier, right? Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So yeah. I thought I'd throw that in there. But um, yeah, so we'll talk through uh, medication wise. So um, Lauren, what's the first med they brought up? Well, they start talking about, I mean, just non-pharmacological stuff. I mean, just depending on how you want to categorize it. So they look at um, dietary fiber, and then they also mentioned um, 
Let's see. Like probiotics. Yeah, kind of like probiotics. They mentioned um, antispasmodics, which I know is pretty common in use for IBS. Um, so for, I mean, first off, they do recommend um, using soluble fibers just to, I mean, they really kind of overall look at it as more of a global kind of treatment instead of just, you know, treating towards like number of stools and whatnot. But I think it's just most like, like kind of a quality of life sort of perspective. Um, so they're definitely recommending soluble fiber. Um, and this is for both types. Um, and they're actually recommending against the use of antispasmodics, um, which was surprising to me. It's still conditional and low quality of evidence from what they said, but they only really mentioned dicyclamine and hyoscyamine. So which are used very commonly. Yes. Yeah. So, which I think, so this is where I will say that there's guidelines for a reason. Like they're supposed to be guiding you to, you know, along the way, but not necessarily something you have to, you know, follow without deviation. Cause I will say that I've, I've seen patients that, that do well with, um, you know, and get a lot of pain relief from things like high sky main, but I think the reason why they're not putting that in the recommendations is because they don't want these patients being on this long term. Mm -hmm. There's no good evidence that shows that it's actually going to improve outcomes. It may improve like symptom relief then and there, mm -hmm. but they're not without side effects for one. So you got all the anticholinergic side effects you got to deal with um, from an antispasmodic. And then, you know, it's something that if if we're masking the the pain and, this, and whatnot, mm -hmm. then maybe we're just prolonging them actually getting something that's truly going to fix some of the pathophysiology that's going on. Right. So I think that's where, you know, but I would say, you know, that recommendation, and the reason I throw that in there is because I don't want it to be something that, like, you see a patient on, you know, has guy, I mean, you're like, hey, we got to stop this immediately. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's in, at least in my experience, I haven't seen, like, a lot of harm that comes from those necessarily, other than, like, the anticholinergic side mm -hmm. effects and, you know, using them in elderly and stuff like that. Yeah. You got to be careful. But um, from a younger patient, you know, I've, I've had patients that have gotten some good relief, at least in the short term. I just think it needs to be reevaluated and not just put on indefinitely. Um, the the fiber agents that they talked about, there's a, a study from 2011. It was a systematic review and they were looking at kind of bulking agents. So, you know, the fiber, um, the over-the-counter over fiber agents like um, psyllium or um, like Fibercon or Citrusel and some of those. Mm -hmm. um, and they basically found that uh, in this meta-analysis anyway, that there was no beneficial effect for bulking agents over placebo as far as improving abdominal pain. Um, now, there's other studies that have shown that it can potentially help um, – you know, in certain things like constipation and other things. But, um, I think that because of the lack of evidence for like, from a unit, like a global standpoint of IBS, I think that's why their recommendations are the way they are. They're, I mm -hmm. mean, they'll, they'll say it's a low quality to go ahead and try it, but, um, it's, you know, they'll, it's not something I would put a lot of faith in. I mean, yeah. they still recommend it, but, um, and I would also encourage patients to get it from their diet if possible. Mm -hmm. So fiber from the diet is always going to be better than packing. They recommend 25 yeah, to 35 sure. grams of total fiber mm -hmm. per day it's a lot of fiber it's a lot of fiber yeah. yeah um the other thing about uh you know ibs symptoms that i think a lot of people start with if from as far as like pharmacotherapy goes is things like miralax so like mm -hmm. our osmotic laxatives so and the reason being obviously they're over the counter they're um you know easy to get access to they're simple to use and what they're doing is basically drawing water into the bowel lumen through osmosis and that's going to then increase peristalsis and push everything where you want it to go um the issue with that is 
the effectiveness of that, especially long-term is not really seen in clinical studies. Mm-hmm. So Lauren, do they recommend Miralax anymore? No, I guess don't. we should also point out that we are talking about a diagnosis of IBS, which is considered a long-term right. disease because mm-hmm. it has to be over the course of three months or so. Right. right. So I guess to your point about the spasmodics, even it's an isolated incident. So the intention is for you're, you're saying it's fine in isolated incidents, but they're saying an IBS long-term, no good. Right. Similar to Miralax, mm-hmm. isolated yeah. constipation. Miralax can definitely get the job done. Long-term IBS treatment, not necessarily their recommendation. Yeah. Doesn't sure. mean that you can't use these in constipation or the others in diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and there's also different, you know, recommendations if it's like idiopathic, yeah, chronic, you know, chronic idiopathic constipation. Mm-hmm. So so IBS by itself, because again, IBS is always associated with pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the other piece of that is you're trying to find things that are going to alleviate the constipation or diarrhea to alleviate the pain ultimately. Mm-hmm. Right. So Miralax and those things they don't recommend anymore. Um, but uh, one thing I thought was real odd that kind of surprised me. What do you think I'm going to say, uh, Laura? Peppermint oil. Peppermint oil. So as many times <laughs> you guys have heard me just bash <laughs> essential oils and whatnot on this podcast, hmm, here, one, one finds itself into the uh, the guidelines. So I stand yeah. corrected. Oh, how the turntables have turned. <laughs> gotta gotta give a shout no, out to the office. Tables. Got to give a shout out to the office because it's gone now and Cole's been very sad. I know. I know. I'm sad. Cole brought up his last episode. The first thing he said, he's like, the office is gone, so that's great. <laughs> now he's got to get Peacock. Which oh. one? That's NBC streaming service. Yeah. Apparently oh. it's on there. Everyone now. is Peacock? getting their own streaming service. I'm, I'm going to need them all to figure it out and then just. The good news is they're like seven bucks a piece. The bad news is once you subscribe, you forget you subscribe. And then, and then slash just... once you have 10 yeah. of those. Uh-huh. You're just paying for cable again. Right. But, That's true. but you have all these apps to choose from, so right. it looks way cooler. It does. And it comes through at different times in the month. So for me, I'm like, I'm paying $7 for cable. <laughs> this is incredible. But then they say every you... day you're paying $7 for cable. Yeah. It's just, if you look at it like that, it's not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> then they send you secret emails and say, hey, we're uh, you know actually going to raise our services, but you don't know. Because so. your junk yeah. email and then it yep. all goes off the rails. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. It's a vicious, vicious situation. I'm not talking about anybody in particular. I have, I have more of those stupid services than I can. I need that that app that like tells you all the nonsense you subscribe to, so you can start deleting it. See, I'm yes. very aware of like every subscription because I have like I log it every single month, so I know every subscription I have, and I know that I still subscribe to some useless ones, but it's hard. Can't to, let them go. I, know, I hear you because you're like that one time I'm trying to watch whatever stupid show. I'm not gonna be like not gonna be able to see it. it. It's yeah. gonna be a nightmare. So uh, yeah. Anyways, back to uh, <laughs> IBS. <laughs> Um, so as far as like what they do recommend, um, so peppermint was one that they said that they could try. Um, did you, AJ, did you find a couple examples of some peppermint oil extract? I did. So a lot of them came in capsule form. Uh, the best one was nature's way peppermint leaf it comes in a little vegetarian capsule. Mm. Mm. It's, oh, it's even vegan. So it's like mm. super vegetarian. Hey, yeah. that's cool. How was that expensive? Amazon says uh, currently unavailable, so it's off the market. FDA took it off the market. It's literally... All right, AJ, the best one's off the market. Not off to a good start. (laughs) (laughs) Now what? Shouldn't be too expensive, though. Yeah. It looks like they're like five, ten bucks. So I'm presuming that a peppermint would not have actual peppermint oil in it, if I just had to guess. It's just got peppermint flavoring. Like like a little star? Like like red and white? Like the The peppermints that you... Like peppermint, like the star, like the red and most peppermints that white. I you're talking about, eat you're talking are about, round. You're talking about like yeah, 
Yes, round, but they have like the star pattern. You mean the lifesavers. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, okay. The, the, the yeah. red star pattern yes. and the white yes. circle. The okay. Christmas mints. I Thank gotcha. You. Yes. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. Like sucking on a peppermint. Can that help my IBS? Prob- Probably not. I would say if you if you eat about 40 of them a day. That's what I'm There's saying. guidelines at 45. 45. Never mind. Oh, just, did he really? No. <laughs> oh, I was about to say. I was like, no way. For legal wow. reasons, that's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> For legal reasons, we do not want to induce diabetes on this show. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, um, I don't know. That's a good question. I would, I, doubt I would doubt it. <laughs> but if, when you say peppermint, I mean that's because that's uh, something that people say mm-hmm. um, peppermint to soothe your stomach. Yeah, yeah. you're right. It's you're true. Right. So there you go. Grandma was right. Yeah. All those years, who knew? She, of course, giving you ginger ale wasn't going to do it because now your sugar's high. So <laughs> <laughs> she's half right. <laughs> but um, as far as uh, the actual like approved medications that are prescription only and all that. Um, there's a few different classes of medications we can use for IBS constipation. So the first one being um, what is called a chloride channel activator, and it's, it's uh, amatiza. Um, so this is something that is basically going to, um, again, activate chloride channels on the apical membrane of intestinal epithelial cells. Um, that's going to cause them to increase fluid secretion and then improve that Equal transit, if you will. Um, now, if you're looking at IBS, it is actually approved in females only um, and 18 years and older. That being said, they also have it approved in chronic idiopathic constipation at a different dose for all adults. So there's plenty of males that use this off-label. I think it was just because of how they studied it initially mm-hmm. that is kind of kept uh, the FDA from approving it um, in men as well. So I'd have to go back and like really dig into the studies, but I believe, I don't think that there was a difference between males and females in the original studies, but don't quote me on that because I'd have to go back and look. Um, but uh, as far as, you know, it's is it effective or not, um, that's where I would kind of be a little bit hesitant because, you know, some people may get some relief from it. But, um, for example, one of the main studies, the, it was a 12-week study, um, it showed an 18% uh, overall response of, for when someone was giving amatiza compared to a 10% response in placebo. Um, and that benefit persisted um, and even potentially increased by t- the 52-week follow-up. But really the, um, the, the change where people got you know, a little bit more excited was that they went back to that study um, when the, the definition of a, a response for IBS studies was changed. And it was like, so they did like a post hoc analysis of the same data, and then that 18% jumped to 24%. Woo. <laughs> Um, and for the price, great. You know, yeah. I'd be hoping for more than twenty four percent. Yeah, but it's proved and it's available. Um, the one thing is, is that it seems like the patients really don't start getting like their relief of symptoms until uh, after about the first month. So that's it's also kind of wow, wow. Yeah, so you got to be in it for an entire month. Um, you know, adverse effects. The main complaints: nausea, diarrhea. So that's great. You fix your constipation and you have diarrhea. Perfect. And uh, headache. And then also hypokalemia. So if you have a patient that's also on like diuretics for something else, you know, whatever the case may be, you do got to really watch their potassium because you don't want to bottom their potassium out and then you'll have a whole new set of problems. Isn't the nausea dose dependent too? I believe so because there's what, eight micrograms in 24? Yeah. And so, yeah, I believe it does obviously get worse with the higher doses, but um yeah, the diarrhea is always the one that I, I've, I've personally heard more patients complain about, which 
makes yeah. sense. Unfortunately, yep, all does. of these are going to be right. kind of a side effect. Yeah. So you have to decide which one you like better. <laughs> Constipation or diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> Pick your poison. As long as the pain goes away, though, I guess that makes it a little bit better. Well, yeah. And then I give them a GLP-1 on top of it, and that makes them go back to being constipated, and then that form, and, that, and eventually it all clears up. <laughs> Everything's good. You're back to regular. You're on 17 minutes. <laughs> I know. I think we need a testimonial from someone, actually, that has IBS. Someone that Mike treats. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there is another class that seems to have a bit better data. So the guanolate cyclase agonists. Uh, we've talked about guanolate cyclase before. But there's Linzess and True Lance. Uh, these increase chloride and bicarbonate secretion in the intestinal lumen to help with constipation. They do have a black box warning, though, uh, for death due to dehydration. Specifically, this was seen in animal studies, poor animals. Um, you want to avoid these in peds. So these are for adults. Uh, Linzess needs to be dispensed in its original container, just a note for the retail pharmacist. Uh, and they do have, or at least Linzess has some recommendations for dosing. We didn't mention, but Amatiza needs to be taken with food. Yes. Mm -hmm. Linzess needs to be taken 30 minutes before breakfast, but on an empty stomach. True Lance, it doesn't really matter with or without food. Whoop, whoop. Nice. Way to go, True Lance. <laughs> um, you want to talk about the studies real quick? Yeah. So with the one Linzess study, it was comparing Linzess to placebo at the 290 microgram dose. Um, significant reduction in symptoms with the Linzess, with a... a great number needed to treat of six so that's what we like to see um the statistical significance of the difference was reached at end uh reached at the end of week one uh which is pretty fantastic so compared to the amatiza to me this has some more compelling data uh both are very expensive um, one different study showed continued benefit at six months which is longer than usual ibs studies go uh so that's definitely a good thing True Lance uh, at the three milligram dose was compared to placebo. Significant reduction in symptoms as well. Um, number needed to treat of nine, which is really good. And also statistical uh, significance was reached by the end of week one. So yeah. they're just showing off. And I think um, I think it was True Lance that they did their their study was six months long as well, which is like usually they're twelve week studies for IBS, and then they just kind of monitor over time. But like they did a full like six week. And just tracked the difference um, with TrueLens. I think it was one of the first studies that uh, had the longest duration. Um, the other thing is with Linzess too, uh, because it's approved for uh, chronic idiopathic constipation. They also their newest dose of that, which isn't not really new anymore, but the newest compared to the other two is seventy-two micrograms, mm -hmm. and that's the one um, that and the one hundred forty-five is for the CIC, and then IBS is the two hundred ninety, like Cole's saying. Mm -hmm. That's why the the difference in if you're wondering about the why they only studied the higher dose. Um, the other thing is, too, uh, Cole, what do you think our price is for Linzess at Fetter? I don't even want to know. <laughs> um, for cash, paying patients who don't have insurance, I'm, I have to double check myself for sure, but I think it's $5. No way. Yes. Cash paying wow. patients, $5 Crazy. for Linzess. It would be 10 at the max. Wow. So, yeah. That's wild. So I was actually really excited when these guidelines came out. And one of the things that Lauren and I got to do is send an update to the providers being like, yo, you know, because that pushes that for the pharmacy too. Mm -hmm. And we, we want you to use Linzess and we got it dirt cheap. Right. Yep. And they are strongly recommending use of these yep. over yes. Amatiza. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say they don't have side effects and shouldn't be used with caution and whatnot, but no over Amatiza for sure. Yes. <laughs> clean. Totally clean. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be cleaner. Just, yeah. Diarrhea. Again, same kind of thing. That's mm -hmm. what we'd be expecting. And, you know, death due to dehydration, but that's neither here nor that's there. That's only in animal studies. Right. Yeah. Gosh, Luckily, don't, nice. don't be so vegan. <laughs> I like the peppermint oil. That's true. Mm -hmm. um, Lauren, will you talk about uh, the new kid on the block? 
Ooh, Tenapinor, yes. <laughs> so um, so Tenapinor is, uh, again, a new medication. So the brand name is Ibsrella. I don't know where they come up with these. Um, IBS so- Rella? Sure. Let, yep. Let's go with that. Perfect. So, For real. <laughs> so it's a new class of medication. So it's a sodium hydrogen exchanger three inhibitor. Um, so the or NHE three. So that's expressed on the luminal surface of the small intestine and the proximal colon. And so what that does is that reduces sodium absorption and increases sodium and fluid excretion in the stool. So that's how that works. Um, so they, so the two trials that they used in order to um, get them through the FDA, they have the Tempo 1 and Tempo 2 trial. And uh, if you're Googling this, the E in Tempo is a 3 because I know that there are some actual Tempo they trials with an E. They guess my password. I know. <laughs> gosh, dang. Um, so, um, so yeah, both of these trials, um, the Tempo 2 is actually an extension of the Tempo 1. And so the first one was a uh, 12-week trial. Uh, compared to placebo, randomized, double blind. Um, so at at they kind of were looking at the efficacy of both um, increased um, spontaneous bowel movements and then also um, improvement in abdominal pain. And they did show a improvement of twenty seven percent versus nineteen percent um, within the first six weeks out of the twelve weeks. And that's in the first study. The second one, they extended it to twenty six weeks, which is pretty pretty awesome. Um, and so then they looked at it again at six weeks, nine weeks, and thirteen out of twenty six weeks. And so they um additionally kept having more and more improvements. So um at thirteen out of twenty six weeks, they were at thirty five point five percent versus twenty four point three percent overall. Not bad. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, again, the same same kind of thing was that the diarrhea was typically transient and kind of mild, mild to moderate. But I was looking at the graphs in the Tempo 2 trial. And what was really interesting is that they don't they don't really explicitly state this, but they did say that um, as far as like the numbers go, but they did show that improvement was observed by one week of initiation and they were maintained by the end of the treatment period. Yeah, good. And then um, the last one that we'll mention that uh, the guidelines actually talk about is uh, a medication called Tegasterod, um, or Zelnorm is the brand name. Um, that is a 5-HT4 agonist. Um, now, they say basically um, it is approved and, and suggested by them in female patients only. So Amatiza is officially like and in the female patients was what it was studied in but um this one is truly like only recommended in female patients younger than 65 years old and they have to have um one or less cardiovascular risk factors um and they also have to have failed um a act like an actual trial of being on one of the other medications like true lance or um amatiza one of those so and the reason for all the you know the the things you have to get through in order to actually qualify for this medication is because um, it does have the increased risk of serious cardiovascular effects um, or events. So MI, strokes, things like that. Death has been reported in patients taking this. So you just have to be really careful. Um, And there's even been like some uh, suicidal ideation associated with it as well. Mm. So IBS or death. Yeah. So that's one that we would use with extreme caution and definitely not... uh, used in um, elderly females or males, the safety and efficacy has never been established. So we don't know. Hmm. But yeah, that's the constipation meds for mm. IBS. Nice. John, we want to jump into uh, diarrhea? Do it. Well, we might be backpedaling a little bit. Did we talk about probiotics? 
Uh, I think we did we? I don't Only know. Bre- I, I don't we know that we did. I think we just mentioned them as something that was referenced, but I don't think we went in depth into them. Give us, give, we give us your thoughts on probiotics. Um, well, the guidelines are saying that they are suggesting against it. Um, they're not making a huge, their the language isn't really that uh, confirmatory, but um, still pretty low level of evidence. So I think that they just saw from the data there wasn't really any improvement in outcome in terms of global IBS symptoms. And previously they kind of had a statement or at least a made analysis about bifidobacterium saying that it might help alleviate some symptoms, uh, but now they're just in general not not saying that or they pretty much have low evidence to say it does much yeah, yeah. so sorry i didn't mean to backpedal no. here but are you kidding me we backpedal all the time <laughs> that's all we know how to do yeah it's fine we don't know how to ride you think, we, okay, have, well, you think we have a schedule <laughs> okay great i fit right in then yeah perfect actually doing way better than we ever do um so uh ibs with diarrhea um one of the recommendations that they said not to use um was with the bioacid sequestrants so like cholestyramine, things like that. They say that basically, because the thought process originally was um, you know, bile acid malabsorption could be leading to, uh, you, you know, the, the diarrhea and whatnot, but the, the data is not fully backing that up. Um, and so testing for bile acid malabsorption, they say is challenging. And so it's something that uh, they don't recommend using those um, as first-line treatments, specifically in, you know, IBS. So the... For those of you who are really liking close to Ironman, it's out. Well, mm. call. It's out. Sorry, guys. Um, I don't know that there's anyone who really likes that at all. Maybe. I'm talking patient-wise. Oh. It's oh. gross. Yeah. How do you know? Have you tried well call? Smelled it. What about the cholestyramine, though? It's orange. Yeah, like it looks like orange, orange juice. Packets. It looks like it. Yeah, what do you think that stuff tastes like? We should try it. Orange? I don't know. It can't be. <laughs> I don't trust that's it. What, that's <laughs> what it says. I don't trust it. <laughs> yeah, it, it looks like just like, probably tastes just like disgusting orange juice mm. well it's like tang i bet it's more i of a bet tang. it is like tang remember tang yeah i do what about sunny d astronaut drinks it so it's got to be great <laughs> it's disgusting every kid wanted it <laughs> no sunny d was my jam drank some sunny d back yeah. in the day yes a lot of it probably too much never been a big orange juice guy no well i used to drink it a lot when i was a kid before i realized that it was packed with sugar i was like oh healthy orange juice <laughs> I have that conversation almost daily with patients. <laughs> They're like, what are you talking about? There's no sugar in orange juice. It's healthy. I'm getting my vitamin C. I'm keeping COVID away. It's like the about exact that. same amount of sugar as a soda of I, the same amount. Yeah. And then I, I use it to wash down my, my uh, Raisin Bran cereal that I have. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, wait. Pulp or no pulp? Oh, gosh. Pulp. If you have pulp in my orange juice, we're never speaking again. No. <laughs> I'm a big, big uh, advocate for anti-pulp drinks. Mm. Big anti-pulper? Yeah, I'm big. <laughs> that... <laughs> That's a good t-shirt. <laughs> I'm a big anti-pulper. <laughs> so what can we use for IBS with diarrhea? <laughs> Difaxin. I'll go ahead and say it. Yep. There's that. <laughs> um, that's one option. Uh, the, initially, you know, we think Difaxin, we were thinking about um, hepatic encephalopathy and then things like traveler's diarrhea. But IBS uh, is definitely, um, you're seeing it more and more used in that case. But the issue is it's very expensive. Yeah, it's hard so, to get covered. You yeah. can. Yeah, it's definitely tough. not the cheapest drug. Yeah, yeah, especially considering it's, you know, deductible season. 
It is deductible. Yeah. Yes, it is deductible season for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one of the reasons why they they do like this medication is um, because it's also going to help with the, just the overall global IBS symptoms. You know, so not just the you know, actual IBS diarrhea, you know, the diarrhea piece, but also the bloating, the pain, stuff like that. It seems to reduce those as well. Um, adverse effects, though, we're thinking of things like peripheral edema, uh, dizziness, headache, flatulence. Always a good side effect to have on board. It's a great one. Yeah. And then the cost, that's the biggest side effect. Yeah. How are you going to find $8,000 or whatever to cost a month to buy it? It's a lot a of these are expensive. So there's another one, Viberzy. Uh, this one's unique in that it's a controlled substance. Reason being, uh, it's a, it acts on opioid receptors. So it's a mixed mu opioid receptor agonist, kappa opioid receptor agonist, um, and it acts locally to reduce abdominal pain and diarrhea. So it, it is acting on diarrhea, but it's also... Um, attacking the pain component. And this is an IBSD uh, without constipating adverse effects. So some of these might cause constipation. It seems like Viberzy doesn't so much. Uh, there are reasons that you would not be able to take this. So if you have had your gallbladder removed, can't take this. Uh, if you're an alcoholic or if you have more than three alcoholic drinks per day, can't take Viberzy. Um, also possible increased risk for pancreatitis. And um, nausea, vomiting, or at least nausea, abdominal pain, upper respiratory infections, possible side effects, take you with food. Yeah. Um, you said pancreatitis? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, th- I always find that weird, like alcoholism. Also, if you drink greater than three drinks, why don't they just say that? I know. I feel like it's almost like, are you an alcoholic? No. Are you a minor alcoholic? Well, maybe they're, <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, can you can you be an alcoholic and drink less than three drinks a day? I find it hard to believe yeah otherwise i know a lot of alcohol well i think alcoholism <laughs> is a different it might be a different like yeah, um, it's more of a because psychological and right. yeah yeah okay so yeah. right i stand correct all the all the substance abuse counselors and listening like we have so many <laughs> are like screaming at me right, right now you moron what are you talking about <laughs> idiot doesn't even know the difference so maybe um, recovering alcoholic would that be i don't know i wonder maybe you know either you know it's a good point i don't know I think uh, one thing to keep in mind too is is it is a an opioid receptor agonist, so it is a controlled substance. Yes. So I've actually I remember when I still worked in like dispensing realm of pharmacy, I remember getting screamed at by like a seventy five year old lady because I couldn't fill her medication because it was like a week early, and she's like, "This medication is for diarrhea." <laughs> <laughs> she's screaming this at me in front of all these other people in the lobby, and I'm just like, "Yep, I'm aware." Oh, I no. did not make the rules of the diarrhea medicine, <laughs> but uh, it is a controlled substance. So I, it's like one of those things. It's that people obviously know pain medicine is going to be a controlled substance. Not so much when it's the diarrhea medicine. No. Well, you know, acts on pain. Yeah, but no, pain. I agree. That's what you should say. You should say no. It's your pain and diarrhea medicine. Yeah, it's your painful intestine slash diarrhea. Right. <laughs> the diarrhea you experience from pain or pain from diarrhea, rather. That's what's fixing. There yes. you go. There you go. Um, another option, uh, and this is again, more after, um, patients have been, you know, tried other measures and failed and whatnot, um, is the Lotronex or, uh, Alicitron, um, which is a 5-HT3 antagonist and it's approved for the treatment of severe IBS with diarrhea in female patients. Again, the ladies have all the treatment options. Guys are just out of luck. Well, Sorry, it's guys. also more common in women. Okay, listen, Cole. I'm trying to make a stand here for men's rights. <laughs> I know, I'm outnumbered here. Oh, no, don't even bother. That's, that's the most obnoxious comment you could ever say. <laughs> it's that nonsense. Um, 
But uh, so it is approved, but patients have to have had symptoms that have lasted for six months and they've failed all other conventional treatment options. And so the reason for that is because one of the adverse effects potentially that can be caused is ischemic colitis Mm. um, because it can cause such severe constipation that uh, it was actually removed from the U.S. market originally. And now it is available again under like restricted prescribing program. Um, you know, so it's a very specifically who gets this program, mm-hmm. uh, or who gets this medication either, because they're not trying to cause ischemic colitis. That's not what you want. I don't want yeah. that. I definitely don't want that. I don't that. want that either. I'll pass. What about lapiramide? They actually don't recommend it as first line therapy. Um, what they say, they don't have like a, they don't go into a lot of it, but they just say it's not recommended because, uh, for treating symptoms, because it might improve your diarrhea, but not your global symptoms. So you still could have that abdominal pain. Do you know um, lipiramide is actually something that could be um, potentially abused? Can be. Yeah. I made a post about that one time and um, on Instagram, and I had someone actually reach out on Instagram and say that they were happy that I made that post because they actually had a family member that passed away from oh, taking no. excessive amounts of lipiramide. Yeah. Really? So That's if you ever, those of you in dispensing, you see a, you know, teenager that doesn't necessarily look like he has IBS, he's getting a whole bunch of lipiramide, be like, hey, man, let's talk. Mm. <laughs> So yeah, apparently uh, if you use it in high enough doses, it can cause a euphoric effect and almost has got like that opioid um, use. Mm. Uh, and you also can get like opioid withdrawal type um, symptoms if you're, you know, they've, I've even seen it used as like a self uh, taper for like someone coming off of opioids or heroin mm-hmm. or something like that. They'll use a lipiramide to kind of counteract the uh, withdrawal symptoms yeah. and it can cause it's not recommended to do that. But I'm, I'm just right, interested right. <laughs> to know the first person to realize that, you know, like this person must have had some bad diarrhea mm-hmm. and then it turns out they feel great. Maybe. Or someone just and really they, understood chemistry and was oh. like, oh, look at that chemical. That's going to mm. definitely. I like my <laughs> idea better. I don't know. I'm always really impressed by the people who, you know, there's, it's a lot of clandestine chemists that came up with a lot of our, you know, illegal medications that people like to, to use. And I'm like, man. You're impressed with all the street drugs? Well, no, I'm just impressed that people like are you're smart enough to come up with. I can't. Can you? Can you create LSD? <laughs> I mean, like I couldn't do that. You could leave me in this room for another hundred years, and I'd be like, I got nothing. <laughs> so, like the fact that these people can come up with that stuff, I'm like, man, if only we could have made you not do that. Right. If only we could have pointed those smarts in a different. <laughs> like, I mean, they're direction. obviously intelligent mm. people. So right. yeah, those clandestine chemists. Shout out. Dang. All you guys out there listening, to our, being responsible and listening to our podcast. <laughs> Being responsible and not making crazy or drugs. not trying to make real life Breaking Bad, please yeah. and thank you. Right. That's um, not real life? What? Oh, wait. <laughs> I thought it was a documentary. That was fake. <laughs> oh, what? Sorry. Don't ruin Cole's Netflix form even more than it already has been. Um, what else? Did we miss anything? TCAs. Oh, yes. That's right. Thank you, Lauren. Yeah. What about TCAs? Um, so they're actually recommending use of TCAs for improving painful conditions um, and also improving abdominal pain just because of their anticholinergic effects. And they can actually um, slow GI transit um, and improve symptoms of diarrhea in some patients. So they they mentioned four of them. They studied six, uh, or at least looked at studies um, at six different TCAs. But the four that, that came out of the running were amitriptyline, um, imipramine, disipramine, and nortriptyline. So it's interesting how uh, far they fell out of favor for a little while with like depression, and mm-hmm. then they're just popping back in for these random disease states that they're realizing are 
very central. Yeah. 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 So it's really kind of using which, their side effects to their advantage. Which just is related, I guess, to how they're used in central pain disorders as mm-hmm. well, but uh, migraines, whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Oh, even even in uh, like general depression, like with something we over like yeah. oftentimes overlook, but like nortriptyline without some of the mm-hmm. adverse effects that because being a secondary amine, um, it, it's something that is in a lot of studies now that shows that it can be helpful. I mean, Star D included a whole arm just yeah. to add that. So, um, Lauren, we were talking about the difference between the tertiary and secondary, and you were telling me that they didn't they say, say something about when to do like amitriptyline, amitriptyline yeah, versus. They, well, they they basically said that they weren't able to recommend one over the other okay. um, just because there are no head-to-head trials, at least comparing them for treatment of IBS-related symptoms. So, um, But they did mention a little bit, um, and, and this is also a recommendation for both forms of IBS, too. Um, so um, we kind of, I know we had talked a little bit earlier about this, but a thought that I had was that you could, since disipramine and nortriptyline are secondary amines and they have less like antihistaminic and less anticholinergic effects, you could potentially use them for IBSC. Um, but you could also, but since, um, amitriptyline and imipramine, you could, since they're tertiary amines and they have more of those anticholinergic effects, you could probably use that for IBSD patients. I mean, the guidelines, of course, don't say that. So say or take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. No, but, but that's that's actually you know. a very. I completely agree with that. It's a very good thought um, because it makes sense from a side effect profile, and yeah. we see that like with depression, like you're going to have. And he's, the reason why a lot of the depression trials use nortriptyline is because mm-hmm. they don't have a lot of the same adverse effects and orthostatic hypotension and stuff with yeah. nortriptyline versus amitriptyline or imipramine. But um, yeah, if you're trying to, if you have diarrhea is the main thing, you're going to give something with more anticholinergic mm-hmm. effects. If if not, then you want to give disipramine or nortriptyline because you'll have less of that. So yeah. I, I completely agree with that. We were writing our own guideline, Lauren. <laughs> Using uh, side effects to treat. Yeah. yeah. What it, is a side effect, but an un um, unintended? But a, yeah, you know, like uh, a a treatment misunderstood. Is I'll that's use, what an I'll adverse use the words is. of one of the um, essential oils per- people that tried to sell me one time. She said they the good thing about essential oils is they don't have side effects. They have side benefits. <laughs> I said, oh, ah, okay, that's interesting. That's okay. a great way to look at I it. Could, I could write a book named Side Benefits, but I'm going to write one <laughs> called A Treatment Misunderstood colon side effects okay fine yeah there you I, go I that's mean, coming to you 2022 that's a long title but right on I gotta mean, have the colon is, in there would ischemic colitis be considered uh you know like the side effects so well, you listen, know the thing they didn't that wasn't on the brochure so I, there's no way of knowing <laughs> okay okay i'm sorry i'm ruining it so i did ask and again you know i was like as i heard that comment i was like why bother? Just go home. Just keep your mouth shut. And then the other part of my brain was like, no, 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 say something. So, of course, that part won, like it always does. And I was like, oh, really? There's no, no side effects at all? No interactions with medications? And she's like, nope, nothing. And I said, have you ever heard of uh, cytochrome P453A4 inhibition? And she's like, hmm? Because, you know, and, and then I went into statins and how they can interact with that. And she's like, really? She's like, we need someone like you on our team. I was like, give me a t-shirt. Let's roll. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't join the cult, but oh, no. <laughs> next time. Um, I did want to mention, though, also with the, the TCAs, um, the in the guidelines, they say with the studies that they were looking at, the number needed to treat with TCAs was 4.5. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I would rather go and actually dig into the actual studies. But um, they, they're mentioning that they also looked at some with different antidepressants, too, and like SSRIs. So but the actual beneficial effects were only because of the TCAs and not the SSRIs. So this is the only class that is going to work. Cool. So. That's good. That's awesome. 
Yeah. I like it. Anything else? Would we miss anything? I AJ? lied earlier whenever I, I said that everything. they didn't have any psychotherapy stuff. They do. Did, oh, I gosh. lied. Lauren. Sorry. I'm sorry. She didn't get to the end of the guide. Hey, I'm going on record and I'm correcting myself. So it's quicker than we normally correct ourselves. <laughs> we usually do it four episodes later. Do we ever correct ourselves? <laughs> I, I have. I have before. Hey, remember that thing we said like 18 episodes ago? Yeah, that was wrong. We looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> we finally looked it up. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so make sure you check out the guidelines. They were published a couple weeks ago. Um, it's a free download. You don't have to be, at least, I believe it's free. I don't think I was in, plugged into MUSC mm-hmm. when I did it. And, um, but yeah, make sure you check that out. Good stuff. And then uh, let us know what you think in the comments and all that cool stuff. Or uh, send us an email if you want to talk to us that way. But um, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks again um, for the Patreon subscribers. That's been awesome. I hope that uh, content is helping you guys out. And if you have any other questions, concerns, comments, whatever, definitely reach out to us. Talk to you soon. Have a great night. See ya. Bye.